It's a well-known story. Mary, a teenage girl from Nazareth, a little village in the middle of nowhere, is visited by an angel and told that she is going to give birth to the Messiah. This text is followed by what's known as the Magnificat, a famous collection of verses wherein Mary celebrates the child growing in her womb with great joy. But I didn't include that this morning because I want to focus first on her doubts, her belief that such a thing just isn't possible. It's a big responsibility, and at first, Mary doubts herself. Who is she, really, to change the world? But this dream, God's dream, this vision proclaimed by the angel, it becomes Mary's dream too. And on this final Sunday of our Advent series about dreams, this may well be the biggest one of all, a whole new world that she will help to create. A reading from Luke. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting and gracious God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. May they be in keeping the teachings and the promise of our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So apparently, as many of you have no doubt heard, someone duct taped a banana to a wall and called it art. The piece sold for $120,000. The image was created by Maurizio Catalan, an Italian artist of some renown, who also installed a fully functioning 18-carat gold toilet in the public restroom of the Guggenheim. Now, curiously, the toilet was later stolen from Winston Churchill's estate 
and remains missing to this day. But one thing is for sure, whoever took it is sitting on a fortune. I'm working hard up here, guys. But back to the banana. Catalan sold uh, three editions of the work, apparently. He, he sold the first two for $120,000, realized what he was into, and stuck a third one up on the wall and sold that one for $150,000. One of the buyers defended the purchase, comparing it to Andy Warhol's cans of tomato soup. The banana, he said, is the unicorn of the art world. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds like something that a guy who would spend 120 grand on a banana might say. Now anyway, on the morning of Saturday, December 7th, a provocateur named David DeTuna strolled into the Art Basel Gallery in Miami Beach, where yet another edition of the banana was on display. And as the other patrons looked on in horror, he ate the banana. <laughs> Scandalous. He defended the move as a work of performance art, denying all accusations of vandalism. I call the performance Hungry Artist because I was hungry and I just ate it, Detuna said. This is how artists talk with each other. We talk by art. This was his art and this was my performance. I don't know if that's really how it works, man. I mean, you can't just draw a mustache on the Mona Lisa and say that you're having a conversation with da Vinci. But as absurd as this whole story is, it makes for a good metaphor. Because we are all, each and every one of us, blessed with the power to create something. Maybe not ex nihilo, out of nothing, but we engage with God's creation by using it to make something new. New ideas, new art, new lives that change the world. This was his art, Detuna said, and this was my performance. Might we say the same thing about God's creation and our very lives? This is God's art, and this is our performance. Now, most people of faith believe that God created the universe, though that means different things to different people. Some believe that it happened exactly the way that it was portrayed and described in the book of Genesis. God created the universe in six days and on the seventh day rested. Personally, I believe that that is a beautiful myth that describes a much longer process involving astrophysical materials and chain reactions that was set into motion by God's creative hand. But I do believe it was created as opposed to occurring by accident. And this created universe is sustained by generative creative forces, art, music, storytelling, childbirth, and things that grow. God is the creator and we engage with that work through our own creativity. These are the dreams that become real fantasies of the heart and mind that take shape in the world. Mary, the young woman visited by an angel and overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, is the bearer of such a dream. 
In Eastern Orthodox churches, they call her Theotokos, or the Mother of God, a revered name that harkens back to an ancient and venerable tradition of sacred femininity. We've discovered over 250 statuettes, some of them dating back 50,000 years to the Upper Paleolithic era, scattered from Europe to Asia. And despite the distance between uh, these findings, they all depict feminine forms in much the same way. Swollen bellies, goddesses on the verge of giving birth. These people celebrated, perhaps even worshipped, the miracle of creation. Within the Kabbalistic schools of mystical Judaism, there is a powerful belief in cosmic femininity. They write about what they call the Shekinah, which is similar to our notion of the Holy Spirit, but more explicitly feminine. It's roughly translated as an indwelling or a presence. And it's not something that exists apart from God, but rather it is the feminine aspect of God. And in this tradition, this Shekinah mates with the Ein Sof, which is Uh, another phrase for the eternal light, the creator, in order to give birth to the Messiah. In religious traditions throughout time, there has been a celebration of creative power, which is often imagined to be feminine in nature for obvious reasons. Now, in Christianity, which, if we're being honest, is a historically patriarchal tradition, Mary is the closest thing we get. We don't have any goddesses or cosmic symbols of fertility, which actually makes Christianity somewhat unique in the history of world religions. We have Mary, a human woman, who really, in my opinion, gets sold a bit short, especially in Protestant traditions. Scripture teaches us that Mary is the bearer of Christ, a vessel used for divine purposes. But in that sense, she plays a really passive role. She isn't given any choice in the matter. This is not her decision. And the child, arguably, isn't even hers. According to tradition, Mary is a surrogate mother. And while we know that she raised Jesus lovingly as if he were her own, those years are glossed over. They aren't considered important. She's only useful to the gospel writers as the bearer of a child that she never actually conceived. But what if she did? What if she helped to create this child, not only with God, but dare I say it, with Joseph? Scandalous. But then there isn't much about Jesus' life and ministry that wasn't scandalous. And I'm just saying, what if? You see, when we talk about the virgin birth, there are two things that trouble me. First, it's a common trope of the era. You know, back then, if you wanted to lend someone legitimacy, whether it's a a king or an emperor or a messiah, you would tell people that they were born of a virgin. They said it about Alexander the Great, too. It's hardly an original idea. And for me personally, it really has no bearing on the rest of Jesus' ministry or teachings, even if I still believe in miracles and resurrection. But there's another thing that troubles me, a glaring inconsistency in the text that I can't ignore. 
The authors of Matthew and Luke, especially Matthew, go to great pains to explain that Joseph is a direct descendant of David. They want to show that Jesus is the legitimate heir by blood to the Davidic dynasty because that was an important criteria for being the Messiah. Except that Jesus isn't related to David by blood, not unless Joseph is his biological father. So what if he is? What if Joseph and Mary are actually co-creators of the new world that Jesus ushered in? What if? You see, when two people love each other, this is very awkward. You know, i got to practice this before I talk to my kids about it. When two people love each other and come together to create a child, that is a beautiful thing. It is a dream that becomes real, and we become co-creators with God. Not mere vessels for divine plans, but active participants in creation. We take the brush in hand, and we paint something beautiful onto the canvas that God made. Back in the 1930s, a painter named Elias Garcias Martinez painted a fresco inside a little church in a small Spanish village. It was competent, but unoriginal. The image of Jesus was in the Eche Homo tradition, that is a portrait of him wearing a crown of thorns just before his march to Golgotha. It looked like a thousand other paintings of Jesus that adorned Catholic churches all over the world. There was really nothing special about it. But the fresco had begun to deteriorate significantly, especially Jesus' face, the flecks of paint slowly chipping away. And while the artist's descendants had put up the funds for a complete restoration, their plans were ruined back in 2012, when an elderly parishioner of the church took matters into her own hands. Brush in hand, a well-meaning woman named Cecilia Jimenez performed her own amateur restoration. As for the result, well, how shall I put this? Back in the second grade, my son made a self-portrait in art class, and he, uh, he hung it up on his bedroom wall. He also has pictures of himself in his wallet, which is a little weird, but I digress. This self-portrait painted by a second grader looks a lot better than Cecilia Jimenez's restoration of the Eche Homo. Now, I'm not trying to be mean, but serious critics have said that the face in the restored fresco looks like a cross between a monkey and a baked potato, and they're not wrong. But here's the thing. Before the restoration, the fresco was completely unremarkable. It was the sort of thing you've seen a thousand times before. People hardly even noticed it was there. But after the parish priests and the artist's family got over the initial horror of seeing their beloved fresco literally defaced, photographs of the restored piece went viral, drawing over 40,000 visitors to the small village the following year. In addition to bolstering the local economy, these visitors contributed over $50,000 to the local church, which used it to establish a home for seniors. 
The tourists are continuing to stream in year after year, and Cecilia Jimenez, once embarrassed by her own work, is now trying to copyright the image so that she can direct further proceeds to a muscular dystrophy foundation, a disease that her son suffers from. A lot of good came from that woman's little burst of creativity. And maybe our world needs more of that creative energy, the kind that makes dreams come true. I feel like our culture is lacking in creativity these days, from unnecessary remakes of films to cheap cash grabs involving popular franchises to tired political ideologies that we cling to because we can't envision anything else. I just wish there was more genuine originality in the world. My son is obsessed with Minecraft, a video game about building structures and landscapes, which is awesome. It's very creative. But he's also a big fan of YouTube, where he watches endless videos of amateur content creators copying each other, doing the exact same things over and over again, so they can, I quote, smash more likes and get paid. I guess I'd just like to see something more original. McSweeney's uh, satirical website published something really brilliant last week. The writer imagines the menu from Chili's, the popular restaurant chain, as written by novelist Cormac McCarthy. Now McCarthy wrote books like Blood Meridian and No Country for Old Men, and he's known for his unflinchingly bleak portrayals of the American West, which make for some vivid descriptions of Chili's Texas-inspired fare. Of the Southwestern egg rolls, priced at $9.95, he writes, In a tortilla made by the boy's abuela, he watched her with her arm fat and canvas apron, cast black beans upon flecks of cilantro like ash, fallen silently on a bed of rice, tiny bones, chalk white, against an avocado ranchero sauce, creamy in the light of the coals, like the obsidian-flecked desert where God has forsaken all life. Outside, a pale, starving chicken quickens a lizard to its last writhing gasps. Evening creeps in as the sun dips blood red below the black spine of the mountain where death will come again many times in the dusty clockwork hours before twilight. You don't even want to hear his description of the California Turkey Club. <laughs> Though it involves, and I quote, atonement for mortal sins for which the wages are death. I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. <laughs> but in all seriousness, friends, our world needs more creativity, more color, more flavor, more original ideas to solve the world's most pressing needs. God created this world, and in a lot of ways, we've kind of messed it up. We've taken a portrait of Jesus, his vision for the kingdom of God, and re rendered it unrecognizable. And so how can we use our God-given creativity for good to solve the problems that we've invented? I was inspired this past week to see Greta Thunberg on the cover of Time magazine, as their coveted person of the year for 2019. 
There she was, standing on the shores of the world, the sunset setting behind her. Greta, the Swedish wonderkind who inspired thousands of her peers around the world to work for climate change, is an example of the kind of creativity that the world so desperately needs. She gained notoriety originally by refusing to go to school and spending her days standing outside of the Swedish parliament. And since then, she's visited the UN, met with world leaders, and sailed across the Atlantic Ocean, leveraging social media networks to spread her message. Now, Greta's a bit of a controversial figure. She doesn't pull any punches, and not everyone likes her. And she doesn't really seem to care if you do. Now, I'm not asking you to like her, only to acknowledge her vast influence, which can be attributed to both her creativity and her passion. My message to young people who want to have an impact on the world, she once said, is to be creative. There's so incredibly much you can do. Mary proved that, I think, with her own defiant act of creation. And so did Jesus, who also broke the mold and envisioned a different kind of world. There are a million ways to bring a million dreams to life with just a little creativity. Just the other day, yesterday, I think, uh, janitorial workers rose up in protest outside of the Art Basel Gallery in Miami to organize for fair wages. They duct-taped bananas to their chests, highlighting, in the words of one organizer, the absurdity of someone spending tens of thousands on a banana taped to a wall in a city where janitors earn so little they can't afford to feed their families. Life can be absurd. And with so much at stake in our world today, creative, outlandish, even absurd solutions are needed. We don't have to do things the same way that we've always done them before. When children languish at our borders, when racism and hatred fuels violence, when bullets litter the streets, when the seas are rising, and when political ideology becomes so toxic and entrenched that actual governance, much less cooperation, seems impossible, we have to dream big. We have to tap into those creative forces that brought the worlds into being to shape a new world, something resembling the one that Jesus dreamed of. This is our God-given power. If the universe is God's art, then this must be our performance. Amen. And now, friends, as you go forth from this place, may you walk with the courage 